Katie, it's time to reflect. What are we reflecting on? Well, usually we would have reflected at the end of 2020, but we uh, we sort of forgot. It is the end of 2020. It's it's the last day of the year. Well, okay, yes, but most people aren't going to hear this until January 4th, which is like basically halfway through 2021. So, do you think they'll if we talk about it as though it's still 2020, do you think they're still going to they're going to get confused? Do you think they'll be able to figure it out that we're recording this on New Year's Eve, but they're not going to hear it for a couple of days? I think that our listeners for the most part build their own realities around what we say. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, it's just uh we're not known for having sort of strong-willed listeners. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm saying anything. Like, I think everyone knows at this point that our listeners, like, if we were, like, attack the Capitol. They would do it. They would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't attack the Capitol, by the way. There, it's We have a, a Reply Guy army in here, and they will do whatever <laughs> Jesse Single says. If you say, go romance a horse, they will go romance a horse. Yes, this is how we've been able to launch wave after wave of online harassment over the years, and no one's been able to stop us. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's remarkable. Thanks to you people. 2020 was, I think it's safe to say, a great year in which nothing went wrong. Yeah, I ha- it was honestly the best year of my life. I've never had a better year than 2020. I do have one complaint. Go for it. Okay. Uh, two complaints, actually. So in 2020, I went to a burger place with my wife. I can tell that I just let me stop you there. I can tell this is going to be a very serious thing that you should share with, you know, tens of thousands of people. So go ahead. Okay. So I went to a burger place with my wife and I asked her to order me the chicken, fried chicken sandwich. And I went to the bathroom and she ordered and we left and like walked around for a little while while we were waiting for our food. And we were like walking back to the burger place and she got this look on her face and confessed to me. That she had accidentally ordered me a burger and not the fried chicken sandwich. So that was the real low point of 2020 for me. The second real low point for 2020 for me was all the fucking people. There were too many people. What do you What do you mean by that? I don't know if this is the case where you live, but where I live, something ha- – I don't know what it was, but something happened to make people – like flee the indoors. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe nothing was open or something. But there were just crowds of people. Like what I like to do is go into the woods and get away from people. And it was just impossible to get away from people this year. Oh, yeah. Was it like that in the Northeast? Well, no, but there's been these articles about places like Vermont and Montana. Like in Montana, rich people from the Bay Area were just buying houses there based on online listings and then just driving there, just infesting this like – unspoiled wilderness i think that's probably what's happening around you yeah it was just like three over the summer three different times we tried to go camping we would like get up at five o'clock in the morning on a thursday and drive out to these wilderness areas where there are normally no people and we would drive around for fucking seriously five hours trying to find a place to camp and there would be nothing um it was just it just you would think that in a year when people are supposed to be staying home, they would have stayed home, but instead they were infecting the areas where I like to be to go get away from them. I, I, I have two observations. One is that I think what you're trying to say is you were hiking around in the woods trying to find a place to murder your wife. Yes. And then every time you thought you did, there was some like dopey couple from San Francisco like, hey, guys. And you're like, damn it. Yeah. They were always taking selfies. They were doing engagement shoots all over the place. How can I possibly murder my wife and somebody's doing an engagement shoot right beside me? The other thing is that I cannot imagine a better way to to build sympathy for us and connect it to (laughs) us than – your rundown of 2020, a year with hundreds of thousands of excess deaths. Really? A world historic economic crisis is A, my wife ordered me the wrong sandwich. Uh huh. B, using my, my many leisure hours per week to go for a walk in the woods, I had to see other people. Yes. Just remember if, uh, if after listening to what Katie just said, you think you want to, uh, give us money for more content, it's <laughs> patreon.com slash watch Katie Herzog, the most relatable public figure. On the planet. You know what? Look, I'm going to be donating quite a bit of that money to the IRS in April. Katie, what what is this podcast people are listening to for, for average working people? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. I'm Jesse Single. Katie, what are we uh what are we talking about this week? Um we are going to be talking about two stories of race and racism in America. And I would argue that they are the two most important stories of race and racism in America of twenty twenty. I was gonna say when you say race and racism in America, I assume these involve 
you know, someone dying in a hospital because they were denied health insurance or horrific labor practices. I, I'm guessing, not knowing what you're going to say, that both of these stories involve sort of working class or poor people living under dire circumstances, correct? Yes. One of them is Alec Baldwin's wife, and the other <laughs> the other is, is, a, is a high school student or two high school students. Which one should we start with? Uh Let's do the high school students who you should have added. This is like a, an elite high school in sort of suburban Virginia, right? Yes. Yes. Do you want to give the rundown on this story? Yeah. So this was uh, this story was burning up the Internet. It was sort of maybe the last crazy viral outrage story of 2020. I hope it was in The New York Times um, uh, headline, a racial slur, a viral video and a reckoning. A white high school student withdrew from her chosen college after a three-second video caused an on uproar online. The classmate who shared it publicly has no regrets. So this is the story of two kids. I think they're both either 18 or 19. Uh, Jimmy Galligan, who is mixed race. Mimi Groves. Um, if I didn't know anything about the story, I would probably have guessed that Mimi was the person of color and Jimmy Galligan was the, you know, the roguish Irish detective. Let's do a digression on what names sound like what <laughs> Okay, so in 2016, Mimi Groves sends a Snapchat to a friend. It is a three-second video. Katie, I think we should give people a warning and just drop it here so they can hear exactly what people are talking about. Yep, uh, trigger warning. Yeah, so I mean, you might you might not want to hear a racial slur. That's what you're about to hear. Fast forward ahead 15 seconds. I'll explain why we're, we're including the thing itself rather than just beating around the bush. I can drive, niggers. Okay, so, so this was recorded in 2016, four years ago, but it circulates in the school. It's known among some, some kids. Jimmy Galligan finds out about it last year. But then, as the article points out, it says he had, quote, waited until Ms. Groves had chosen a college. Uh, so she gets into University of Tennessee, Knoxville. She has a place on the cheerleading team there. She's very good at cheerleading. He waits until she's in college so he can inflict maximum damage. Or guess, he, he waits until she's been accepted into college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I get, and, I mean, so the, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you here, Jesse. I want to note one thing about this. So the narrative that if you didn't read this this story closely or if you – watched it mostly unfold online, the narrative would have been that Jimmy Gallagher, Galligan, uh, s saw this, this Snapchat three years ago and saved it for three years. That's not actually true. He saved it. I think that this is a small detail, but it's something that people have consistently gotten wrong. So he didn't see the video until last year. So we're talking about a year, not like three or four years that he held on to this video. Yeah, that's like one of the many things to discuss here. There's a lot of misinformation. So he, he does hold on to it, clearly hoping to inflict as much harm as possible. The result is an online pylon. She loses her place on the UT cheering team, and she's basically strongly encouraged by University of Tennessee to withdraw because everyone got mad at them online. So they're like, you know, we don't want her to come here. Um, right. And they got like hundreds of people like uh, demanding that she be denied, uh, you know, place on the cheer squad and be denied admission to the school after this. Yes. Um, now, there's a lot to discuss here, a lot of details to get into. I mean, I guess the first thing is like um, the story mentions this slur getting used in the school a lot and that this causes, you know, black people distress because understandably so. What what the story doesn't really do is like lay out there are there's a difference between pointing to a black person or a mixed race person and calling them that versus using this that in the sort of sense of like guy or friend. And when I, I this is going to get way too into the linguistic weeds, but I think it's kind of important. Um, when I first heard the story, I assumed it was going to be with the dropped R, which points you more toward the sense of like dude or friend, in which case you could be like a white person shouldn't use that, but they're clearly copying the way some black people use it among friends, rightly or wrongly. Should we care that she did the hard R? Okay, wait. So one question here. Was she – did UT actually uh, resent her acceptance or was it like she was pressured to – As the article points out, it's a public school, so it's like hard for them to. But they basically said like we don't think we're going to be – you're going to be comfortable here. And it, it sounded like they sort of – is one of those situations where someone resigns, but they've in effect been fired. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so she was – in effect, fired for saying a, a dirty word. And it's not like this is the same word as, you know, shit or fuck or pussy or anything like this. It's a racial slur for sure. But it's well, still... But I, I think, but I think that framing, I mean, this is maybe exactly what we should discuss, but calling it a dirty word makes it sound like the college was mad that she used an obscenity. This is a 
dirty word with a very it's a it is a racial slur what what sure. confuses it is she wasn't she didn't appear to be using it as a racial slur in that clip. it wasn't directed she, at, at anybody in particular as far as we know no. the, the 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 most the plain reading or hearing of it is she meant i can drive motherfuckers or i can drive dudes like but with but it just comes across jarring coming from a white girl and online a lot of teenagers do this like it's usually with the dropped r but this is a word that people use to be like edgy constantly online and and i think that's useful context not that doesn't determine whether it's like right or wrong or whatever but to to i guess it just bugged me that people pretended not to know the difference between a 15 year old like hurling that slur at a black person versus using it in a groan-inducing, edgy, trying-to-be-cool way. So Jimmy Galligan, the reason that he posted this photo was because after – or after uh, – posted the video is because after the death of George Floyd, Mimi Groves came out and uh, said on her Instagram account – this is from the New York Times – this is from the New York Times. She urged people to protest, donate, sign a petition, rally, do something in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. So what he – I suppose his problem with this was this seeming hypocrisy. Another way to look at it, however, would be she was 15 when she said this word and she had changed over the past, you know, over three years and had a, you know, some sort of awakening or that she actually cared about Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's also possible that she was just like signing on to the thing that everybody was doing, and that she was being in, like a hypocrite and a and a you know Johnny Come Lately. Well, in both in both in both cases, she could have been mimicking Absolutely. her classmates using that word to be edgy and mimicking them. I yeah. mean, it's like we're trying to dig into the soul of a of a fifteen year old, which I think, and I think almost any time you find yourself doing that, that's a sign something has gone wrong because fifteen year olds are just like dumb. They don't have and, souls. They don't have so you don't get your soul till you turn eighteen or under Jewish law. <laughs> Mimi Groves is not Jewish. Um, I guess. Well, the other thing is, okay, I I I've been in groups like in high school. I would sometimes be in groups with Jewish people and not Jewish people, and we would be trading offensive jokes because that's what fucking teenagers do. And if a Gentile made a Jew joke in a context where like we're among friends and. Everyone know like I wouldn't assume because someone tells a bad joke or uses a bad word that that is full stop how they feel about that group in question. I think that's a crazy way to understand people. It is a crazy way to understand people. And until recently, I think everybody realized this. And you can see that because comedy that would have been fine three years ago or four years ago is now taboo. Actually, wait, can I, can I say something about that? I, I, I'm interrupting you more than usual, but it's it's actually not true that comedy like that is taboo because – People are very opportunistic about it. Um, 30 Rock makes some very funny Jew jokes. The Jew joke, no one ever made, and I'm, I'm saying this as a Jewish person, no one has gotten in any trouble over Jew jokes. No one has pulled an episode over Jew jokes. It, it is very random what does and doesn't stay on the air and what does and doesn't make a, make a big stink. I mean, is it random or is it just black jokes? I mean, 30 Rock pulled their blackface episodes. They didn't pull any of their Jew joke episodes. All right, Jimmy Kimball went off the air for like a month after his like old blackface, um, his blackface like p parody songs. Uh, from the 90s were rediscovered. I can't think of any other ethnic group. Well, that... what about Megan Amran and the, the Asian jokes? What happened? What was that? She's like a, a really one of the most famous and well-respected young comedy writers. And someone dug up old tweets where she made sort of hackish jokes about Asians. And then that's true. Yeah. OK. Um, yeah. There was the the SNL guy as well. Who, Shane Gillis. Um, yeah. Yeah, he said he made very, like, Asian, anti-Asian jokes. He used an ethnic slur about Asians. Okay, so the rule is that you can make Jew jokes, but you can't make Asian jokes or black jokes. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but but if you, okay, if you look back at The Office and 30 Rock, and, and these are shows that actors and writers have built successful careers, at, like, because of their work on them. It's just clear there is no real consistent standard because, like, seriously, rewatch The Office. It's crazy. And this was not that long ago. And no one is saying, like, we should find who wrote that joke and punish them. It's I think it's much more just sort of like targets of opportunity. Like, like Gillis had just been named to SNL. So he was in a vulnerable position. A 15 year old girl is in a vulnerable position. She can be canceled. I guess what worries me is, like, no one's attempting to explain what the underlying principle should be here. And maybe the answer in like a big, messy, multicultural democracy is there can't be any 
one principle. We're like feeling around in the dark. But it seems like people are pretending we can peer inside this girl's soul because of like a three second video clip from when she was 15. I know the exact same people are then watching old episodes of The Office that are incredibly problematic, like the uh, diversity training one or whatever, and laughing at that. I just watched that for the first time the other day. It is super yes. problematic. A very funny, but very problematic. Right. So I guess what, yeah. So it's just like, I don't, I don't really think, um, I don't, I don't like these blow ups. I don't like when individual people are singled out, even if, you know, I guess I it's what's weird is people made this point online, but it's like, is it morally worse to use that word once when you were 15 in like that edgy, I'm trying to be cool sense where maybe we're giving her too much of the benefit of the doubt. I just had no evidence from the video that it was meant as a slur at a person. Is that a worse moral act than than holding on to a video to try to maximize the damage you inflict on another person's life? Obviously, you and I are probably the two worst people to be talking about this, but I cannot imagine. I think we're the best. Yeah, we're the best. I cannot imagine that hearing this term is so like on a three second Snapchat video that isn't directed at you causes more emotional damage than losing your cheerleading career that you've been working your entire life um your entire life for and being denied entry into college and having to like stay home and go to like community college to me the interesting thing about this story is the reaction to it um and and like first of all i want to say here like i think the bad guy here or the villains of the story i I think it's the it's the administrators at the university of tennessee who kick this girl out of their school like there needs to be some adults in the room it's so it's so it's so cowardly like 300 people get mad at you on twitter so you're going to use that to make your admissions decisions i hate that right and then of course it has the opposite effect when this story ends up in the new york times and everybody is appalled by the fact that this girl lost her her place in school because she said this word um and then the university of tennessee i'm sure has gotten just inundated with complaints since the piece came out well and i'm sure i'm sure jimmy galligan's getting harassed um yeah and yeah other, for the, sure the, the high school also there were like simmering racial tensions there for a long time and kids were using this word a lot and that school did nothing which helped make that this is according to the reporting at least so like there's a lot of adult blame to go around it's this is one of the the like the richest areas of the country i mean this, this doesn't this fit well my theory or our theory that like so much elite media is obsessed with in the post George Floyd world. There is like a real fixation on sort of upper middle class settings and like basically microaggressions in them and stuff like that. Right, right, exactly. And so another interesting element of the story. So Jimmy Galligan, his father is white and his father is a cop or a former cop and, and not woke, not woke. And uh, and there's a, a part of the story where apparently um, his father said the N word at some family get- or uh, he said it at one point. Not I'm sure it was not in a in a malicious way. Yeah, they make it pretty clear he did it. I think he was hanging out with the black side of his family and thought right. he could use the word in that way. Yeah. And his kids like took him up, took him alone, and said like, "You can't say this word. Here's why, or whatever." Um, and and another another funny part of the story was that Jimmy Gallagher apparently like got into it with his dad. Or Galligan said like got into it with his dad because his dad denied that white privilege exists. Um, but so he, you can see that this kid does have the capacity to like call people in, but he didn't do it in this case. Um, well, so why shouldn't his dad lose his job if this yeah. is the which is about yeah. equivalent to losing your your ice your college yeah. i mean it's just it's inconsistent he should lose his job and then uh i'm not sure who's going to pay for for jimmy's college hopefully he has a scholarship but it, you know it's interesting like part of the story says that that jimmy and mimi had been friends at one point and they hadn't spoken since this so it does clearly seem like i mean maybe it's not clear maybe i'm just intuiting this but he probably did this not just to like make a stand against racism but also for the, for the engagement on his own, you know, his own sort of clout, social clout. You get points when you're the person who does the calling out. And if you do the calling in in sort of a private manner, you don't get that. You don't get the that rush of like, you know, public moral righteousness. Well, well tucked into the end of the story, it says one of Ms. Grove's friends who is black said Ms. Groves had personally apologized for the video long before it went viral. If anyone has useful information, it is the black girl who is currently friends with Mimi Groves she has to be anonymous because she can't you know she said she did defend her online but people um anyway it's 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 a mess and I just um you know these are both kids and I hate the idea of like the focus being on either of them versus the role adults should play in trying to a make these climates better though we don't know that much about what was going on in the school and b 
dude, when these online outrages reach you in your like admissions office, you just you need to chill and just like at least give it, you know, a little bit of time before making any rash decisions. One thing that I've been thinking about in uh, in the context of this story is that I think among many of us on the left, if a 15 year old committed armed robbery or of some sort of violent criminal act, even murder. Um, you know, there is this acknowledgement that the child is a child and the child should be given a second chance. And I think many of us on the left would happily argue that a 15-year-old who committed some violent crime should still be able to go to college, should still be able to live a full life, should, you know, should be able to evolve because 15-year-olds are are just like bags of emotions and hormones. But in a case where it's saying a racial slur, the same people who might argue that, yes, a 15-year-old robber should be given leniency and should be able to go to college in a few years is going to argue that saying the N-word is a forgivable – is an unforgivable offense. Well, okay, but people – well, there's two sides of this. One is I don't think that many people are saying she should, like, never be able to go to college or never work. But on the other side – it was sort of bad faith when people were like, oh, boo-hoo, she can't go to her chosen college. She she can't be a cheerleader. It's like, well, no one's claiming this is like a, a world historical tragedy. We're just saying it's sort of a ridiculously harsh punishment for the crime. I get what you're saying. I, I mean, if it's if her career is – if she wants to be a professional cheerleader, her career is over. This is – I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you were a, a, a student athlete, right? What did you play? Football, basketball, <laughs> both of them? I was How many a, letters did you get? I was a, uh amateur professional gamer in high school. Yeah. Uh, esports. Uh, but if you are – I mean, if, if – I, I don't know if this is what you want to do. But, you know, if, if, if you spend your entire young life preparing for something, in, in this case, elite college athletics, um, and you're not able to – to go to college and do the thing that means your career is over well maybe the clearer analogy would be like okay if a black kid sold a dime bag to his friend and got kicked out of school over it or got his college acceptance rescinded which i'm sure has happened a million times yeah everyone would agree that's outrageous Um, yeah i guess from a certain weird point of view that's there's some people think that the fact that this girl said the word in a Snapchat that got leaked public, like hurts people that I think that relies on a pretty different understanding of language than I think you and I both think that like, there's a subset of things where you can choose to feel like you've been personally harmed and people, people are increasingly making that choice, but there's not inherent harm. there. I mean, there's incentives to be harmed here. And Jimmy Galligan is a clear case of this. Um, I mean, now they're both uh, in the, they're you know, they have quite nice pictures of them in the New York Times. So they both got something out of it, I suppose. I think Jimmy's going to have I think there's going to I don't want this to be the case, but I think he's going to get like so much harassment when it when a story like this goes national and like, yeah, it's just not I don't think I think it's a better outcome for Mimi because it'll be easier for her to be rehabilitated. Whereas I think Jimmy's going to have a bad time for a while. What do you think? I saw a lot of people online saying that this story shouldn't have been written. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, Look, the fact that so many people are sharing it and talking about it suggests that it it struck a chord, and that's part of the New York Times' job to strike a chord. In terms of their what they focused on overall, I'm not sure the 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 proportions are right in terms of how much they write about race in like these rarefied settings versus not they they don't cover poverty and real inequality. They do. It's just um, I still think this is sort of like microaggression level stuff and they focus too much on that um i i don't know do you think there's any argument that they shouldn't have run what's the argument that they shouldn't run the story well okay so robbie suave for one he wrote a post for reason it's called the new york times helped a vindictive teen destroy a classmate who uttered a racial slur when she was 15 and robbie who i normally agree with on culture war issues read the story in a different tone than i did like he seemed to think that the uh, the author of the New York Times story, Dan Levine, um, that he I like think it's Levin. Levin. That was a microaggression. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Dan. Um, that he like lionized Jimmy Galligan, and I didn't really read that into the piece. Like the final the final paragraph of the story is. For his role, Mr. Galligan said he has no regrets. If I never posted that video, nothing would have happened, he said. And the internet, and because the internet never forgets, the clip will always be available to watch. I'm going to remind myself, you started something, he said with satisfaction. You taught someone a lesson. I don't, I, to me, 
I could see myself writing that exact same paragraph and it's not that wouldn't have been lionizing it would have been this sort of like he said with satisfaction like sort of like a lion licking his I guess that is lionizing um but I just I didn't I didn't read that in a sort of a glowing light I thought I thought it made him sound sort of sociopathic yeah no I agree completely and one of the weird things about uh, this style of news writing where you're supposed to keep your opinion out of it except to the extent that you can choose what to emphasize or what to put where is you don't really know what the author thinks that's kind of the point but i cannot imagine uh, a better way to broadcast that you think what jimmy did was over the top than to use that exact kicker that exact last line right right so i was sort of robbie's response to this sort of surprised me because i can see robbie writing this same story with a with a different a different framing but i can absolutely see more editorializing right right totally and i can absolutely see him writing this i can see you writing this i can see me writing this um so i don't buy that this was not a story worth telling because this is it's not just about these two people this is a uh this is illustrating a, a a trend that is happening um and one that we talk about all the time and one that robbie talks about all the time which is why i was so surprised at at his response so i think you can disagree with the framing of the story as a lot of people clearly did um but i i was you know i read the i saw i saw the the response to the story before i read it itself so i expected it to be worse than it was um so i was kind of surprised at how i I don't know i thought it was like pretty evenly handled and both these mimi and jimmy both agreed to be in the story so this is not one of these cases where they're reporting on something um, you know, against the wishes of the of the the characters, there's like there's New York Times photographs of them. They sent photo they sent photographers to their house. They certainly agreed agreed to be in the story. Well, Mimi thinks she was wronged and can be rehabilitated. Jimmy thinks he did something righteous and wants to show it to the country. Exactly, and I thought this story did a good job of um, of kind of laying that out and showing the tensions within the school. So I don't know. I, I was not as appalled by it as I think a lot of people were. One thing that did bother me was, I mean, this is. This goes without saying at this point, but watching so many people opine online who like hadn't read it or who had misunderstood it, like a lot of people said that the video was of her singing rap lyrics because they saw she at one point had said like I heard this I heard this in lyrics so I didn't understand how bad it was when I was fifteen. People interpreted that as she'd gotten in trouble for singing a rap song. No, that's not true. That and just like all these other nitty gritty points, people just. It's like there's this whole parallel universe conversation going on on Twitter based on facts that are just wrong, and we should. It seems like a waste of time. Yeah, the New York Times should have put the video in the um, in the in the in the text, which I guess would have traumatized more people. But at least we would have been able to see what she was actually saying. Katie, you've been you've been saying a long time to me offline that you want to um, read out a list of your favorite uh, racial slurs. Do you want to? Do you want to do that now or, or keep it for the patrons or what? Let's keep it for the patrons. <laughs> do you know uh do you know what the term the gamer word means? The the G word? Yeah. No. So because the N word is hurled so often by like edgelord twelve year old gamers on Xbox Live, some people call the N word the gamer word because gamers use it so much. Wait, is that real? <laughs> yeah. You can look up the gamer word on Urban Dictionary. Wow, I had no idea. I, I need to start gaming words. This doesn't happen when I'm playing Tetris. I don't know why. <laughs> There's no 12-year-old screaming uh, anti-lesbian. <laughs> there if should only. be, by the way, you guys got, you people got off easy because there's only, I think, one anti-lesbian slur and you guys have completely reclaimed it. It's to the point where I can say it, basically. Lesbian? Is that the slur? <laughs> yeah. The D, the D yeah, you word. Can, I think you can say dyke. I'm not going to say it. I give you permission. I respect you too damn much. Your little ears couldn't handle yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure it would just like turn me turn me fuming red to hear that word. I will say like, I, so um, I've played a lot of, despite not being a high school athlete, I have played a lot of pickup basketball over the years in mixed race settings. I find that the most interesting thing about you. How so? Let me, how do, how do I say this nicely? It's just surprising. It's surprising that you play pickup basketball. Why? I'm 6'4". I like, uh-huh. I don't know. I know I come across as awkward, but I got, I got some hoops spelled with a Z. I would love to, I would love to see this. I think that you should. We should this should be a Patreon thing. We should play one-on-one. Oh yeah. That's a great idea. I could just go under you. Just go straight under your legs. <laughs> um, that, that word gets thrown around a lot, usually by black people, usually meaning 
dude or guy, like, you can't guard that bleep. Dyke? Dyke but... gets thrown out. Gets thrown out <laughs> you can't guard that. Uh, but, I, think, like... see, I think that you should start. I give you permission to, to use the term dyke, and I think that you should start calling the young black men who you play basketball with dykes That's all the time. Idea. Please do. Every so often, a white guy will use that word in the same way. This has happened, like, a few times over the years, and it gets, like, some side eyes and some groans, but nobody everyone understands it's not the same as like using it as a slur and and there's clearly some confusion among some white people about how you shouldn't use that word because at the end of the day language is weird and there's no like straightforward answer it's like basically you can only reclaim the word if you're in that group which is like sort of fine with me i saw a lot of people like getting really mad online like why can't white people say i just i can't imagine a less important hill to die on because there's so many other linguistic rules about like sort of etiquette we accept without sort of dissecting them yeah definitely um i so i was curious about whether this is a an american thing or an english thing where there's one word that one demographic is is allowed to say and that it's taboo for other demographics and so i i asked this on twitter and it, it seems like this is fairly common throughout other cultures as well in different like weird different contexts like maybe it's a class thing or an age thing in some places where elderly people el seniors are allowed to say some word that young people aren't allowed to say um which made it a little bit sort of less i don't know less um unique i suppose that this is you know, yeah maybe a, a a human concept and not just an american thing yeah people are weird the rules do change with frequency about this word like when i was in college or high school or in recent years the idea that a white person wouldn't sing along with a song that used like the soft a n-word that didn't exist um as far as i remember like singing along with a song was like the exception to the rule that you don't say the word if it was like a soft a in a rap song um and that seems to have changed rapidly yeah, I think Gawker even like blew up someone, just some random kid for singing along at a concert, which is like crazy. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Look, there's going to be like, don't don't use the word, but also don't pretend that if like a white person singing along to a song written in, I don't know, it's just like, can't there be some role for common sense here? Probably not. No, there cannot. No common sense. Speaking of which, should we move on? Yep. Okay, so the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, Iraria Baldwin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you that have, famous Lat Latinx social. You have such a good Spanish accent, Jesse. Very impressive. I've never been able to roll my... I, hold on. Ilar Ilar Ooh, that was good. Ilaria. Can't I can't do it either. Ilaria. It's very pathetic. I can't do it at all. All my, all my fucking friends figured out how to speak Spanish, and I... Hard life. Hard life. Okay, so Elaria Baldwin. She is formerly known as, I'm going to dead name her now, <laughs> Hillary Thomas Hayward. She is the wife of Alec Baldwin. Have you uh, heard of her at all before this week? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. I still don't really know who she is. Okay, so I had heard of her because I find her, her Instagram, I don't follow her on Instagram, but it sort of comes up as my like people you may want to follow or whatever. It's in sort of the main public feed. And she's interesting because she has five children under the age of like six. I mean, five children. And she has this. That's insane. Yeah. And, she, and her husband is Alec Baldwin, who is in his, I think he's in his 60s. Um, so they have this, just this like trove of, of fucking children. They continue. Okay. To but, 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 but I got to say, 60 year old Alec Baldwin sperm is yeah, like. That's like 25 year old Jesse's sperm. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, every once I'll like look at her Instagram like once a year and she's pregnant again. Um, she always seems to be pregnant. And she's a yoga teacher. She's, she's posts lots of pregnancy photos. Yesterday on Twitter, this, uh, this this picture went around of her doing yoga on top of her stove. She was like like doing not even like a back. She was like sitting on her stove with her head back. I don't know what this pose is called. What? And her head was in a pan on the stove. Is the pose called pot roast? <laughs> yes, that's the famous pot roast pose. So uh, she is thirty eight years old, married to Alec Baldwin, and she was unknown until of course she married this famous student started having many many of his children and over the past i guess they've probably been married for eight or so years and over the past uh week or so 
this story has been circulating about her. So this story first emerged from a Twitter handle, Lenny Briscoe, which is apparently a reference to a Law & Order character. And so on December 21st, this person tweeted, You have to admire Hilaria Baldwin's commitment to her decades-long grift where she impersonates a Spanish person. So this thread is now inaccessible, unfortunately, because the Twitter user went private. And uh, so she wrote this thread um, accusing Alec Baldwin's wife, Hilaria Baldwin, of basically being from Boston. That's like, I was just fucking stunned at the, wow, that's a really cruel accusation to level at someone. That's fucking, don't even get me started. <laughs> I, I mean, did you feel a little bit, uh, like, a little bit personally hurt that this woman? Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, no, that's that's really. I mean, to accuse someone of being from Boston—that that's my equivalent of uh, of the gamer word. <laughs> okay, so the story is basically that Hillary Baldwin was born in Boston, reportedly born in Boston, and has since she got together with Alec Baldwin and a little bit before she was some sort of competitive dancer or something like that. She has affected a Spanish accent. Um, she has been on the cover of different like hispanic latin magazines her husband in many interviews has said that his wife is spanish um and it turns out that she is probably non-spanish and in fact what happened it seems as though she was born in boston was known as hillary until her like 20s um her parents are white they're from boston i saw a genealogist did her family tree and she has like long long ties to to new england uh, not to spain but it appears as though she, uh, like, vacationed in Spain as a child. Her family lives there now, and she considers herself Spanish. And she has been keeping up this ruse for over a decade um, that she's Spanish. And, of course, this became a national news story, as these things tend to do for some reason. Um, and people started debating, of course, whether this was the equivalent of some sort of blackface, a tan face, if this was a dull as all situation. Um, yeah. And so the whole thing just like fucking spiraled out of control. She ended up doing an interview with the New York Times. Uh, she released a, a video on Instagram sort of explaining herself. Um, but when it comes down to it, like on, on the Twitter thread, the initial Twitter thread that started all of this, a bunch of people who say that they went to high school with her say that she was a white girl from Boston, um, that this is that this is basically an affectation. Yeah. And she also went to the um... Sorry, apologies if you mentioned this, but you went to the Cambridge School of Weston, which is like this notoriously, it's like the school you like send your kid if your kid is very smart, but like can't be constrained by like normal education. And I'm looking at the fees and stuff because obviously money is part of this. Um, I think it's like 65 grand a year. I mean, who knows what she paid? Damn. Yeah. Cambridge School of Weston is like, that's a serious, like rich suburban Bostonian type thing. I also think like. Is it so the connection to Spain is like her parents like vacation in or retired to Mallorca or something? Yeah, she was. So according to her, if you so according to her Instagram video explaining all of this and uh, in this New York Times interview that she did, she basically says that she's bilingual, that she was raised that her like when she talks about her Spanish family, she's talking about these like friends and family that her family has had that her that her parents have these deep ties to Spain. It seems like from what I read, it seems like her dad, her dad was maybe a Spanish major or something like that. Her mom was a doctor. Um, her dad is some sort of academic, I believe. Um, but they don't have – she doesn't come from like a line of Spanish people. Her her family is is like decidedly from New England. Um, and then, and then uh, like apparently like if you go further back, they're like British and maybe German. <laughs> and page six says that her bio changed from Baldwin was born in Mallorca, Spain and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. They just sort of deleted that part. What, what was the bio on? Uh, her her agency website. Like her speaker's oh, okay, page. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And there are these clips going around of her. Like she was on some um, some cable show and she would like a cooking thing. And actually, let's just play the clip here. We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, a, how do you say, cucumber? Cucumbers. We have
Yeah, I love that. I love like to, like I don't know. It's one thing to pretend to be something you're not, but to pretend to not know a word that you know or that you must know is pretty awesome. I'm on her. I'm on her side because absolutely. So awesome. And so she she explained the cucumber thing by saying like, uh, you know, it's my first time on national television, and I was nervous. And when I'm nervous, sometimes you know my like sometimes I forget English words. And then there's this funny quote later in the New York Times piece. She is asked. Um, how much time she spent in Spain as a child. And it says she declined to explain in detail how frequently they traveled there or how long they stayed. This is a quote from her. I think it would be maddening to do such a tight timeline of everything. You know, sometimes there was school involved. Sometimes it was vacation. It was such a mix, mishmash. Is that the right word? Like a mix of different things. So apparently she does have a hard time remembering re- remembering um, particular words. It was such a mishmash. Is that how you say it in English? Someone should just be like, can you point to Spain on this map of the world? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so her, she says that her – she grew – and even when she was in Boston, her family sort of like brought Spain into their home in Boston. They're ba- they're basically like Spanophiles. Is that the word? Hispanophile? Um, but they don't – they do not have any, any sort of like genetic ties to Spain, which is sort of a silly concept in the first place. But they don't. Um, they're like Americans. This is awesome. Good, good for her. Right. So this this is the question: Is what she has done uh, deeply offensive, or is this as I can't remember who said this on Twitter? Someone, maybe it was Matt Iglesias, said something like, "This is the equivalent of Nathan J. Robinson speaking with a British accent." <laughs> right, because he spent like a little time over there. Yeah, we uh, should explain who he is. He's he's uh, the founder of um, Current Affairs. He's a, a lefty writer who is capable of very good work, but in my view, has been sort of the culture war undertoes have snared him a little bit and is blah, blah, blah. But yeah, he has a, he famously has sort of a British accent that I I guess I want to say he did like two or three years of school over there, maybe four, but he's definitely not British. He definitely uh, has that accent. Right. Um, This is the thing that, that people do. It's an affectation. Andy No has a British accent. Andy No is from Portland. Um, There's, I don't think. What was it? What's his kind of, did he go? I have have no idea. That could have been maybe maybe after he was assaulted by Antifa. It just did brain damage. that gave him a British accent. Yeah, no, he's had it since long before then. Um, But he, you know, his parents are Vietnamese. And so you would think that if he did have some sort of accident, it would be like a Vietnamese accent. But no, he has a British accent. So this is a thing, you know, people do this. Like you go study abroad for a year and you come back speaking with a British accent. That's extremely common. And people's accents do change and mimic the people around them. And in in some ways, like, that's a good thing. You know, like, if somebody came from Mexico and started speaking English with an English accent, we would say, oh, your English is so good, right? Or with an American accent. We would compliment them on their, on their like, beautiful language. This, well, no, but that's a microaggression. To say that your English is so good. Okay, maybe it's a microaggression, but it would still be, a, like, a genuine compliment. You would say, if, if you, like, if you learned German yeah. and you spoke German in a way that people couldn't tell that you were a dumbass American, they would probably compliment your German, correct? Yeah. And so, people, like, my point is just that people's accents do change based on where they are, the people around them. I find her defense a little bit silly. Like, it does seem like Alec Baldwin has an interview said, my wife was born in Spain. My wife is Spanish. That is not true. Um, It does seem like she made up this or she exaggerated her connections with this country um, as an affectation. That said, I don't think this should be a fucking national news story. I am glad that it is because I'm glad that we get to talk about it because it's hilarious. Hilarious. Um, Hilarious. You know, and so like if she had said that she were British, that's the other thing is that because it's Spain, people like I saw people on Twitter. Oh, people are so stupid. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah. Right. Right. Well, I mean, so they're basically saying that this is like some form of blackface. This <laughs> is like people, the, the woke people who are supposedly race conscious do not understand that there's a difference between like speaking Spanish and being an impoverished migrant. This is a thread by a former coworker of mine, Auda Bogata. I, I like Auda. I like her a lot. We disagree on sort of these cultural issues a lot. She's an immigration reporter for Reveal um, and we're friendly, but this is, this was her take on this. Um, White women take up an incredible amount of space in society, that includes cultural space, by claiming to be Latino when she knew all along that she was, as she just acknowledged, a white girl, Hillary Baldwin took up space by making actual Latinas invisible. What, how, who did she, who got erased? Because this, okay, I should be, like, I'm I'm joking when I say, like, this is great, I'm glad she did it. I, I'm glad she did it mostly just because it annoyed the worst people on Twitter. Obviously, there's a scammy element, but 
this the the underlying bankruptcy of the sort of racial conversation this reveals, including people believing that Spanish is the same as Latino, which again, there's such important differences there. And t- like, I'm sure this this friend of yours is very nice, but that what she said just doesn't make any sense. She didn't. It's just this like really expanded notion of harm and this. Um, anyway, I'm I'm rambling. I just think it's such a stupid story, to be honest. So out at in this same thread, um, she says for nearly a decade at and she adds Latina magazine here. Latina touted Hillary Baldwin, a white woman with white parents from Massachusetts. During this time, the magazine has been accused of erasing black Latinas and publishing pieces about how white Latinas are somehow discriminated for not being dark enough. The fact that Hillary Baldwin pretended to be from Spain with that ridiculous accent, while some of us have been denied opportunities for our actual accents, is disgusting. The fact that she pretended to be an immigrant at a time of hatred, detention, and deportation is sick. Look, I'm not in a position to say this. I don't by the idea that in 2020 your media opportunities will be hindered by having a latino accent i think frankly the opposite that's what's so weird is like we live in a world where like uber i mean it's just endless pandering on this stuff you know uber doing billboards like racists aren't welcome here or whatever and clearly you know, there there's still structural obstacles to getting into lots of form of media if you don't have money. Those obstacles are not like, oh, you're bilingual, you have an accent, well, you're not going to fit in at this. I mean, I really think that's like exactly the opposite of the truth. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's especially true in upper class, highly educated fields like media, where there's a huge push to diversify. If you are bilingual, um, that's a selling point. Well, I mean, why do you think Hilaria Baldwin tried to give herself this extra sort right. of Hispanic flair? It's because of exactly that. Now, if your friend's argument was that certain racial groups are are structures, you know, are less likely to be able to take an unpaid internship or whatever, I, I agree with that completely. Um, here's my favorite my favorite part of this from the the New York Times interview with Hilaria Baldwin. Hilaria. So. Ilaria. So uh, the the Lenny Brusco Brisco account. So they so the New York Times when they were, if you recall, when they were writing about Scott Alexander, the rationalist who they were trying to unmask, the rationalist blogger they were trying to unmask, um, they said that it was their policy not to not to grant people anonymity. Um, and then this is a line from this New York Times piece. Um, she and so the she in this case is this twitter account this anonymous twitter account she said that miss baldwin's american upbringing was an open secret among many people in new york and she just decided to make it less secret we're all bored and it just seems so strange to me that no one has ever come out and said it especially for someone who gets so much media attention said the woman who was granted anonymity by the new york times because she said she was scared that mr baldwin who agreed to take an anger management course in 2019 in order to dispose of charges after a fight with a man in a parking spot and has been arrested escorted from a plane and suspended from a job as an msnbc msnbc host all in the last decade would punch her (laughs) (laughs) alec baldwin is gonna track down the the, the twitter (laughs) and punch her and punch her i love that i think it's so funny that's i think that's another example of a journalist like trying to slyly wink at the audience like this person's a little bit nuts that's a yeah, I mean, the person did did like spend a, an extremely long sentence talking about how um, Alec Baldwin does have a history of of committing acts of That's violence. True. So maybe so maybe, she, maybe the author does have some th- sympathy there. But just the idea that Alec Baldwin is going to like go fucking punch somebody, some woman on Twitter. We should hilarious. start a feud with Alec Baldwin. That would be good for the podcast. And this is largely his fault for not speaking up about his wife's deception. I think Alec Baldwin should punch you. Alec Baldwin also starred in 30 Rock, a show which made many anti-Semitic jokes that have still scarred me to this day, frankly. So I think Alec Baldwin um, really needs to step up and be a better ally. Or So maybe you should punch Alec Baldwin to make up for the anti-Semitic jokes. Alec Baldwin, if I run into you, um, I'm sure we go to the same sorts of places. I, I'm going to talk to you about all this. So get ready. I wonder, I'm so curious about what his like genuine take is on this. Cause like I've looked at his social media and he's sort of, he's like posting these sort of vague things like flying away, ignoring people. Like it seems like he's trying to keep his mouth shut about this, which I'm sure is pretty fucking hard for him. <laughs> wait, Alec, Alec Baldwin, po- wait, so he couldn't actually just ignore people. He had to post ignoring people. 
That's like if you're like involved in a controversy, you just can't stop tweeting about it, but obliquely you're like, okay, I, he, I, 10 tweet tweets talking about why I'm not going to talk about the thing I'm talking about. <laughs> that's that's the Jesse Singles story. Man up, Alec Baldwin. Come on. So who's the who, – what's your, your uh, verdict here? Who's the villain? Who's the who's the victim in the story? Um, the villain is society for continuing to get stupider. Uh, the villain is people not – like sort of failing to – I don't know. The failing to understand the difference between being from Spain and being from like Guatemala and your friend who I'm sure is lovely, her tweet storm didn't make sense, so she's a villain. I'm a villain for have like given any of my limited brain space to this. You're the villain for really dived into it. Are there any heroes here? I don't think so. The nation of Spain, I suppose. She should apologize to the nation of Spain. I mean, one other interesting part about this is how, like, I made a joke on Twitter about, I said something like, why is everyone dead naming Hillary a Baldwin? That's so fucked up. People got mad about that joke. I thought it was pretty good. But the That's pretty good. Thank you. But the joke, the butt of the joke was not like trans people at all. But of course, dead naming refers to, you know, the birth names of trans people that they that they give up and they don't want anybody to mention ever again, some trans people at least. But this idea that you can recreate yourself is very in right now. Lots of people change their names. Lots of people change their bodies. Lots of people change their identities. Um, I mean, how, half of the like resistance Twitter, like tries to talk like a black woman on Twitter with like the y'all and the hand clap. It's just so like, this is a thing going on now. And it's like sort of fake, cultural currency but then it's very unclear where the lines are or why they're drawn where they are exactly like i i tweeted something about this too about how to me this is the equivalent of like hillary baldwin affecting an accent is the, the equivalent of like how half of millennials and all of gen z have declared themselves queer despite having heterosexual sexual attractions i do think it's very similar it's this just this it's not malicious but it is this way of um you know, of just like becoming a little bit more special. And I do find like, I find it annoying when I think that straight people are affecting a queer identity. I do find it annoying. So I can see why it would be annoying uh, to, you know, actual people from of Spanish descent that she would do this. Um, but I see, si, senora. Yes. But I just don't think that it is a any like the equivalent of any kind of hate crime. Um, and I don't think she should be run out of society for it. I think that like she should be made fun of a little bit and then we should forget about it. I mean, like, the, we're, the whole thing is she's famous because she's married to Alec Baldwin. That is the underlying thing here. So any, like, controversy layered atop that, it's just very, it's fr like, it doesn't mean, none of this means anything. We're all going to be dead soon, you know? Hopefully. I got some Twitter heat, too, for something I, I tweeted. Can I um talk to you about this for a minute? Yeah, please do. So yesterday, December 30th, I tweeted, my pick for person of the year is literally every woman just for doing what you do. Um, and people really responded negatively to this, I guess, because they're misogynists. Uh, you're being just being a good ally. Uh, all right. So our verdict on Ilaria Baldwin is um, she's a proud Latinx woman and people are trying to bring her down because of that. Because Exactly. Accent. Exactly. This is just another uh, one more occasion of just the white patriarch kicking down a woman of color. I hope 2021 is better than 2020. Thank you one more time to uh, everyone who listened in 2020. You can email us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. We have a subreddit you can check out. Uh, check out the Patreon. Uh, please consider pre-ordering my book, The Quick Fix. Man, is it going to be good, I hope. Not really sure. What else? What are we missing? Rate and review us on iTunes. Apple Podcasts. But yes. Whatever. Apple Podcasts. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, me llama Jesse Single y yo soy de Boston. Y yo soy Katie Herzog. Y feliz año nuevo para Blocked and Reported y Elaria Baldwin. Uh, adios. Adios.